All right, neighbor union friends, we're so glad that you are back with us listening. Yeah, welcome back. <laughs> we have some exciting things to chat with you about today. Um, all from, really, this is the brainchild of Nate recently and been thinking about art and hospitality. Um, and of mm -hmm. course, we just finished with the holidays and there's a lot that maybe is still fresh in our minds um, about mm -hmm. hosting people, feasting, all those sorts of things. So um, we're going to have Nate take it and kind of give us not only the uh, background for the topic today um, as to why we're talking about it, but also some of the biblical background for a framework that's going to help carve out our conversation. So take it away, Nate. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, um, the question that I thought of is, um, is art a part of hospitality or can it contribute to, you know, hospitality or welcome people, welcoming people into your home? Um, and I had in mind, not necessarily the art that you personally make, although it could be, uh, but just sort of art, like you as a person who lives in a home, how do you use art or aesthetics um, in such a way that, uh, or how could you use it in such a way that it would enhance your uh, capacity for hospitality or, or making people feel welcome and at home in your home? So, um, yeah, so... Is art a part of hospitality? So the way I started thinking about this was it was on the bus, <laughs> and which is nice because you don't have to pay attention when somebody else is driving, so you can just think about these things. And I started thinking about Genesis 1 and 2, the beginning of the Bible, the uh, creation story, and how So cre uh, in the creation story, first of all, it's important, I think, that the first verb in the Bible is created, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, um, and so, so this creation is the stuff, the work of, you know, God's handiwork and it's beautiful. And it's, um, anybody who's, you know, been out for a walk in the woods knows that the creation is beautiful or the world, the natural world is beautiful. And so we're calling this, this, beauty we can call i think we can call it god's artwork in is uh creation is god's artwork and um so what what and this is using a little bit of uh i a couple of things i read a while back um on genesis that talked to, we're talking about um the creation the first the first chapter of the bible the first chapter of genesis um, where where everything is first created, where God creates things one by one, first, you know, uh, light and separating it from the darkness and, and so forth, and then eventually land and water and um, until all the way up until he creates man, um, man and woman, first Adam and then Eve. There was somebody, some theologian, or I can't even remember who it was exactly, who was saying that this this is an example from you can find other other pieces of literature in in like ancient history where pagan literature where um, there's 
the description of the building of a temple. And the, in the temple, it would describe the, the temple's building piece by piece. And then at the end, the final, the final act and, uh, and the centerpiece of the temple was the, the idol or the, the statue of the god to whom the temple was made. And the statue would be carved of wood or stone and set in the temple. And this was the crowning, kind of the centerpiece of the temple for its, its whole purpose. And uh, and then, obviously, worship would take place in the temple. There'd be sacrifices made to the this god, this idol. So what Genesis 1 is doing is creating a, a temple. God is creating a temple in which he's going to dwell. And then the final act, the final act of creation of the first, you know, the first seven days of creation is the creation of man, of humanity. And that humanity is the icon or the, the image of God, of, of the God who created him. He makes, a, makes man and woman in his image. And this is the, um, the centerpiece of creation. And, and of course, you later on, like in Genesis 2, I think you get the, the, like, the call for human beings to bring forth the fruit of the creation and to shepherd it kind of and be its its keeper. Anyway, so man is is kind of the uh is the inhabitant of creation and and he's the representative of God and so God's whole purpose here is to sort of build a house <laughs> or build a home you could say because the temple later on in the Bible the temple is the house of God. It's the place where God dwells. Right. And he has this abiding presence in the Holy of Holies. And that's where Israel meets with, Israel through the high priest meets with God once a year to make sacrifice, make atonement and everything. It's, it's his house. It's God's house, literally. And yeah. man is invited into God's house in the temple to be with God and to meet with him. And um, so that's what creation actually is, the world, the cosmos originally Right. And uh, it's the home. It's a place for God to dwell with man. And like one of the great lines in Genesis uh, one or two, I, I can't remember, is that God walked and talked with Adam in the cool of the day in the garden. He, they, he descends into the garden with Adam and walks and talks with him. So it's this place to be with Adam, with his guest. Basically, right. Adam is this created guest for God to invite into his home and to be with him. So that was my sort of background, my, my groundwork thinking about art and hospitality of, of creation being both a facet of the, uh, the creative, the aesthetic or creative overflow of God's uh, power and being and creative will. And also the creation being the place where God meets with um, man and so he's got this beautiful place. In the, in the beginning, it's Eden, this beautiful garden to meet with um, Adam and Eve. Yeah, so so nature then would become the first home. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so nature is like the first, the first home in which God intended to dwell, to live. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that there's there's such a contrast too in the Old Testament with uh, looking at the other ancient Near Eastern cultures of the time, civilizations, yeah. and their mm -hmm. polytheistic structure, which does resonate with the whole concept of like um, you build a temple and then this sort of 
crowning piece is to actually bring the idol in. And the Old Testament keeps, Yahweh is trying to constantly put in front of the Israelites um, attention that his temple is a place where he dwells, but um, the thing that represents him, which there's no, I mean, there's a throne for him, right, on the Ark of the Covenant. Right. But yeah. he's not represented by a, a physical made thing, right? So he's constantly right. trying to say, I I made the home, and then in this particular case, I directed you to make this temple home, and yeah. I dwell here, um, but unlike your polytheistic neighbors, I the the thing that I am is not a thing that is made. You don't make me. Which is a really huge distinction yeah. he's creating there about what yeah. kind of um, what kind of divine being he is, right? Um, yeah, he's not created. He creates, um, but he is not created, and that's sort of constantly in front of their minds um, during this sort of long slog of <laughs> Yahweh's pursuit of Israel. Um, yeah, totally. So, and then, I mean. You mentioned this, Nate, in some of our notes, but this this whole thing keeps coming back around in the New Testament, right? So we have mm-hmm. uh, John 1, the word, word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us, right? This idea that God himself becomes um, one who is human and able to dwell with us as a human. So he not only creates the place, um, he himself just even kind of bookending with with Genesis, like walks in the garden. And now we have another um, picture here in the Gospels of one who walks in the garden, right? One who yeah. walks walks with us, who is human, right? Has taken on flesh. Yeah. So, but I like this designation that you kind of um, articulated here of, of a world, uh, sort of the world as a temple or creation as a temple and or mm-hmm. nature as a temple and then house temple right and so the tabernacle yeah. and the temple structures in the old testament have these like insane number of chapters that go in to intense detail of the the engineering of the project but particularly the artistry of the project and the specific things that are to be included and even the people who are supposed to be working on this project artistically, the artistic directors. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting that that very much matters to Yahweh, the way his home looks, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the aesthetics of his home seems to be a priority. Yeah. It's an incredible level of, uh, detailed order that is prescribed in later on in the the temple, like the, or is it Leviticus or something where the plans for the temple are drawn up, like where you know, all the details of every, every piece of, um, furniture, you know, the, the lamp stands and stuff and where they go, like how big everything is supposed to be. It's all very prescribed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's and very it's important. It's like, you know, in the Holy of Holies. I mean, that's a lot of effort and work on an aesthetic that uh, only one human sees once a year. Right? Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, yeah. I think these th- these are notes and these are t- types that and themes that are informative of 
how we understand like a theology of home or a theology yeah. of home aesthetics um, and, and, and have a lot to do with intrinsically how we understand art or how we understand um, relating and belonging um, to one another and to God. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I mean, so Nate, tell me a little bit, uh, we, we've kind of gone through some of the biblical narrative. Of course, in the end, we have this new heavens and new earth. <laughs> There's a new home. Yeah. Um, and Christ says that he's preparing a place for us. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important place is a recognizable and, and uh, uh, concept that is connected to what it means to be human uh, and how mm-hmm. God made us as humans is that we're put in a place. We are, we are given a context and we're given time, a, a certain space time, um, but to, to dwell in, but we have a specific space and then looking at the gospel accounts um, kind of backing up a little bit. So he's preparing a place for us. And then Christ is also the one who says, the son of man has nowhere to lay his, lay his head. So we have this, this idea of an incarnated God who takes on the dwelling of a human flesh, who is dwelling as a human being and is a human being permanently and irrevocably. Mm-hmm. And he, this God is saying that they have no home. <laughs> He's kicked yeah. out of his own home. He's an itinerant um, prophet for three years. Um, and he is in, he's cast out of everything that resembles home, belonging, yeah. um, social identity, um, and and he is put out um, so that we're brought in, right? So this is sort of the this is sort of the redemptive component of uh, a theology of home, right? Yeah, um, which is profound, right? But then we live in homes. So what is that about? Tell me, Nate. I want to know. We live in homes. <laughs> what is that about? What? Oh, jeez. That's a good question. I mean, how to how we live in homes and what is all of that kind of, you know, beautiful theological patchwork that we just articulated speak in or speak into the fact that we live in structures and and not everyone does, many are homeless, but the idea is yeah, as humans we if we are homeless, it is a problem, right? We see that right, as, yeah. as um, well, uh, like an extremely unique calling, maybe. Like if someone's an itinerant musician, <laughs> a few right, of which I've known. But right. in in those cases, they are being welcomed into homes very often by somebody somebody else's home. Right. So they're having hospitality practiced for them. It's interesting that. Um, well, I don't. You know, I don't think you need to like think this like talk you you don't need to have thought of the stuff that we've been talking about here to to just be the kind of person who has the natural impulse to want to make their home beautiful and people do this in some really common ways that 
uh like bring like house plants we have a ton mm-hmm. of house plants and like we're both i think i think it's going to be a expanding population <laughs> the way it's going um and you know so we people bring plants into their home to, as is like sort of i just started just since taking these notes started thinking of house plants as like uh like ambassadors from the natural world <laughs> It's like a little embassy from the forest in our house here. <laughs> that is maybe the best thing I've heard all week, Nate. <laughs> yeah. If I thought of houseplants as ambassadors from nature, I might not kill them. <laughs> like I, I might have a little bit more tender care for <laughs> these plants. Yeah. Yeah, well, I feel yeah, like I'm part plant because I think, you know, it's February when we're recording this and I just decided the other day that I think I operate out of photosynthesis partly. Yeah. So this is why winter kills me. And so I have something to identify with with plants. Um yeah, but totally. yeah, ambassadors from nature. I'm going to use that. That's great. Okay, sorry, keep going. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, so yeah, we do, we bring house plants in we like, I have, um, I have this ongoing project of, you know, stocking our bookshelves. Um, we have artwork on the walls, both photography and painting and, you know, drawing other things. Um, we have, we have particular foods in our kitchen. It, there's all these different ways that we have chosen the aesthetics of our home and what people will see when they come in and what they'll experience likely in some cases what they'll ask about what will spark conversations and so all of this uh people people do this with the intention of showing it to people and i think that's really neat and uh it's it's i think it's probably more than what we normally considered it to be it's probably more important maybe than we usually think of it because I think uh, it's a, it's, it has the potential to, well, just on the sort of surface level, it has the potential to make people f- feel welcome or not, mm-hmm. uh, what we do with our home, the potential to, to kind of foster relationship with them. And it also, if you think about it sort of more, biblically or, or as we've been talking it's it has the potential to be a tool or a like yeah like our homes become an agency speaking of ambassadors like embassies for the kingdom of god and and these places where we welcome people into our homes as we've been welcomed into the home of god which is the, the cosmos the created cosmos mm. and um so we can actually play a part in welcoming people to God by welcoming welcoming them into our home. And that can be huge if if uh you know, if it's thought about and executed correctly, mm-hmm. I think it can be really life changing. I mean I've I've I can't I don't have any problem saying I've had the hospitality that other people have shown me at times has in fact changed my life. Yeah. And show me and show me the the show me God, God's will and everything, in amazing ways. Wow, so it's I really agree. inspiring. Yeah, yeah, I've I've definitely experienced that, and I I think um, yeah, just thinking about this idea of a house temple, 
you know, that yeah. God makes a house, God creates a space for people to dwell so that he can dwell with them. And then we create, um, as sub-creators, we create spaces um, that also God can dwell, but that's actually not quite the full extent of the story. It's that we invite the stranger. Right. We invite other outsiders to come in. And so it becomes yeah. a sort of infinity paradigm <laughs> of, yeah. of homing, you know, and belonging and bringing together. And it's, it is a human impulse, right? So we, from an earliest age, we want to build forts and we want to, yeah. you know, build tree houses and we create forts in our bedrooms and we want to sleep in the fort overnight because that's super cool. Um, we like to create smaller spaces for ourselves where we belong yeah. and we can invite other people to belong. Um, it does seem to be intrinsic to how how we understand ourselves and our belonging and our, our sense of self even. But I... I even feel this way in nature, right? I um, I could be wrong, and I'm totally biased because I live in a region where I'm surrounded by mountains, but I really feel like the topography of mountains, one of the reasons it's really appealing to me is that it feels snug. Like it yeah. has, It's like <laughs> nature. What I've always thought about it is like nature giving you a hug, like, yeah. Just the land's just going to come up all around you. But Yeah, it's kind of enclosing you. Right, but it's <laughs> it's also kind of defining space a little bit. And it's expansive yeah. still, but it's defining space. And um and so in in a lot of ways, you know, nature as home also provides that for us and um so I just I find all of that kind of fascinating like our longing to find a little spot to call our own and find a spot where we belong and then bringing other people into it it doesn't have to be this sort of I think what I want to make sure our listeners aren't hearing is that we're like everyone should create a home and it'll be like leave it to beaver and everything <laughs> yeah. will be perfect like <laughs> so one thing that I feel like we need to bring up is how bent this sort of theology of home becomes over time when people use aesthetics in the home um, or beauty in the home as a means toward pride rather yeah. than toward uh, a welcome and um, and a delighting of the guest or a delighting of the people in the home. Um, mm -hmm. And that can get ugly pretty fast. And I have grown up at, uh, in the South and, I think it actually happens everywhere, <laughs> but yeah, I kind of yeah. like just the, you know, the, the glossy, glossy, like magazines of the perfectly decorated home. And this is actually feels like an imposter to, um, the purpose of homing, you know, or aesthetics in the home, because the point in all that is not just to show off, but it's a competition of, it's literally keeping keeping up with the Joneses, right? It's the showing of wealth, but also of the, that I am accepted. It's an insecurity. 
Am yeah, I like, okay? Is what I have okay? Does it measure up? Um, yeah. Do you have the most fashionable or up to date? Yeah. Well, and let's just be honest. Hipsters do this too, right? There's like oh yeah the 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 coolest stuff to have right now becomes a measuring line of uh, your acceptability in a certain social circle. Um, and yeah. it has less mm-hmm. to do with your, um, your interest in creating beauty in a home and more to do about saying something about what tribe you're a part of, which isn't yeah, welcoming right. to guests <laughs> or outsiders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It can certainly be an expression of tribalism or, I don't know, an enclosed, an, like a closed off social scene or something that you're only you're only welcome here if you're part of a particular in group. Yeah, and even just like the the person in the home is, and this is rampant, right? Um, and we've all been there. But there's this pressure of saying there's a there's a pressure of fitting into a social circle or kind of social schema of this certain kind of group of people in a culture. And so matching your whatever you have in your home with that, which is a lack of imagination. And mm-hmm. um, and also, uh, it's a, it, it, the bottom line seems to be like efficiency. I have a blank wall. Something needs to go on it. Um, and rather than taking time and being patient to um, adorn your home with things that you care about that matter to you, we buy crap and we put it on the wall because there needs to be something there. But we're maybe not being intentional about how the the actual physical objects, which is so, right, this is just like affirmation of, of the tangible physical world, which delight I'm delighted in. But um, yeah. the recognition that these things in our home really matter and we can fill our homes with things that are meaningless or we can fill them with things that um, not only point point to maybe memories or ideas, or just delight and joy and beauty. Mm-hmm. That, that actually, that kind of intentionality is not just good for the people living in your home, but it's good for the people who visit. And it doesn't mean uniformity. It shouldn't mean uniformity. We should actually walk into someone's home and see a bit of the uniqueness of the divine in them, right? Yeah. And and not this uniformity of just like this is what everyone in 2019 thinks is beautiful or looks good yeah, at right. home. <laughs> but for the stranger, for the the outsider coming in, um it's thinking about well well what it's the intentionality of what kinds of things am I putting on the wall or what am I doing in the physical space that conveys welcome? And helps this yeah. person feel like they can sit and stay for a while, and that this is a place that they are welcome and that they're accepted. Um, and yeah. that, I mean, underlying this whole thing is really like the doctrine of accommodation, which is essentially mm-hmm. this idea that within divinity, there's this intentionality of communicating with human beings in such a way that. Uh, it's clear and it's it's keeping in mind the way that humans think and the way that humans communicate. And so um, 
that God actually speaks to us using not just our own human language made up of our ability to use our vocal cords and move our mouths in certain ways to make sounds that we can hear through ears. The whole thing is incredible. But not just language, but even all the ways that we receive and give communication, God is very attuned to communicate in those ways to us. And so, of course, the uh, culmination of the doctrine of accommodation is the incarnation, right? Jesus himself mm-hmm. is the one who, um, because because he is fully human, he can communicate in fully human ways. And so I think the yeah. bottom line of just, when we think about hospitality and aesthetics and hospitality, is just this realization that making someone welcome in your home is a multidimensional communication uh, issue, right? So we yeah. accommodate to the way that people might receive what the messages from visually what they're seeing in our home or even music or the smells mm-hmm. or, you know, are we, how are we? And I think just the act of thinking about that is there is a, is a, is a good practice. How is a guest coming into my home and receiving the communication of welcome? Yeah. And not just from my words, but and from my actions, but also from what they're seeing. Um, and that's just a really human way of getting into the other person's shoes and understanding how they're subtly and and subjectively even taking in these messages. And this is why, yeah. like, homes that this is why we put people when we want to punish them, we put them in cells with like nothing because yeah. <laughs> we yeah. know this is an intrinsic part of what it means to be human we we receive messages even when there isn't it like no aesthetic is an aesthetic like no aesthetic yeah. has a message it does communicate yeah. something and it makes us die inside <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a form of torture <laughs> yeah wow that's amazing and so how are we loving people with beauty um, in our homes, which are places of welcome and belonging. Um, I don't know. I mean, what about you, Nate? Do you, you guys have specific things you think about in how you, you just moved. So this is probably fresh in your mind. Yeah. I mean, we do, we definitely talked back and back and forth a lot about exactly how we were going to arrange spaces and, and Rachel has a much better sense of like, I think, like how a room should be organized than I do, but uh, <clears throat> definitely kept in mind, you know, how how a given object or shelf or piece of art w- was going to make the room feel. Just real kind of, nothing real technical or anything, but just sensibility it gives. Um, I did think of one, I just sitting here, I thought of one example, interesting example. <laughs> We've got... I mean, we have a lot of friends with kids right now. We have not yet had too many big gatherings at our house. Um, And so far, I don't think we've had any with kids. But uh, one of the things that we sort of decided to do was keep, um, keep like toys and art supplies on hand. Particularly, I think there's more art supplies. There's some blocks, I think, but there's a lot of marker, like crayons, markers, paper i think there's play-doh and stuff 
And we just like stocked up on that and put it in a drawer. So it's not like it's displayed or anything. It's not part of the aesthetic of the room. But the idea is that that will be available. And uh, I guess I bring it up because not so much because it's, it's not aesthetics that we've put there, but it's sort of like interesting little flip on the idea where the kid, the uh, family comes into our house with children and we're ready to let the children add their aesthetics to our home kind of That feel. is brilliant. <laughs> that is brilliant. And it's sort I of love comedic- this idea. I'm going to completely copy this idea. Yeah. <laughs> I never know so, what children should do in my home. You know, I'm like, I have yeah. bunnies. You can oh, come yeah. and pet them. You could. <laughs> I, but usually that doesn't go down very well. Bunnies <laughs> um, not so And then I'm like looking for cookies or something to eat. And then the parents like, not really. I don't want you to. So you're just, I don't know what to do. I, it's like, I have nothing to offer. And then they're like going to Ruth's house. I don't want my friend's kids to think going to Ruth's house is just super lame. But it is. I mean, it's objectively lame to come to my house as a kid, except for the bunnies. Um, yeah. So that's that is a wonderful idea, and then they get to participate in making something beautiful. Yeah. Also, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I would um, I want to do more of. I don't have fine china, but one thing that comes to mind as a southerner is this whole idea of, and this is, we have other things other than fine china, right? We have other things that are very beautiful or innate or or maybe that we just really love and we think is beautiful. Mm-hmm. We don't really share those things with people. Yeah. So there's that common and the every family's like away. this. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> every family's like this. I mean just about where where you're like, there's this precious, amazing thing and we can never use it because it's precious and amazing. So it deserves yeah. to sit in this cabinet, which isn't real. You know, it's not a living thing that gets to behold this thing. And and then it gets brought out twice a year for a meal. Yeah. And even then people are like nervous about it. So Yeah, yeah. You know, um sort of recognizing the humanity of the people are more important than the things you have in your home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that goes for how you adorn it and how you make it beautiful, but also how you take those beautiful things and you use it to serve them or to bless them or to, um, yeah, to, to not hoard those things, but somehow to, uh, bring them into it. You know, I mean, it's just that concept that like, it's one thing to sort of observe beauty or to, yeah, just to observe beauty from afar right so I do this a lot when I go on walks and I love to house watch I just look like looking at houses while I'm walking by um Mm -hmm. most of us want to be surrounded by beauty (laughs) yeah that's really the goal right we want to be inside the house that's beautiful yeah Um, we don't want to observe um a party from afar we want to be we want to experience it we want to be in the party we want to be present we -hmm. don't want to observe I mean there's so much of me as a non-musician that I really don't want to just observe um a a beautiful a wonderful concert I actually want to participate in it and I don't really know how either by dancing or by playing music or um, participating in some way. Um, and so that's, that's another part of this is that homes provide the context to actually 
be surrounded by beauty, to be in the context of beauty instead of sort of just observing it, to be surrounded by it. And I think it gets yeah. to that um, place of longing um, that is also intrinsic to being human, that we we just yeah. we want to be a part of beauty. We don't want to just sort of see it um, as observers. Yeah, and jumping off of our the the, the first part of the this episode, we, we want to be in it, participating in it with with somebody else who maybe you know understands us and who so that there's this mutuality between parties in the midst of beauty where we're we're making something together or we're just delighting right. in something together. Right. It's it's highly relational. We don't want to experience yeah. that alone. We want to experience that with other people. And so, yeah. and this is actually a, a a tone that kind of runs through a lot of our podcasts that I'm starting to notice um, mm-hmm. is how relational art really is. The making yeah. of things. Um, it's relational, not just um, even if you make something in isolation. Um, first of all, I would say making things with other people has a profound element to it, right? But then even even after the thing is made, making things is really in the context of a social order, right? That there's some sort of other, there's a viewer, there's a responder, there's a recipient of the things that we're making because it is another form of communication. It's another accommodation to language and and speaking and all the multifaceted ways that we know and learn. And so, yeah, so that's just a funny thing that keeps coming up is that um, art outside of the context of community and human relationship is, feels very void. Yeah. So it's like the, you can't take that gut part of out, out of it. So anyway, that's just something I just noticed. It's like, oh yeah, this seems to come back all the time too. <laughs> yeah. Making things involves community and connects us to each other and communicates all kinds of things to one another and hopefully communicates love. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, um, anything else you want to add, Nate, before we sign off? Um um, no, just other than that, this gives me a lot to think about in terms of what I'm going to, you know, I do with my home because we're still kind of in the process of finishing the, the interior of our home having mm-hmm. moved a couple months ago. So yeah, it's definitely a lot to think about and a lot to prepare for it really like the, what well, the stuff we're talking about here is really inspiring and it, it helps me feel like there's a bigger purpose to what I'm doing just around the house, which yeah. is uh, really not really amazing. Cause I mean, you kind of think of around the house as being a mundane thing, like uh, right. I'm just puttering around the house or I'm doing household chores or something, but actually what you're doing, what I'm understanding here is that for instance, household chores, cleaning up or whatever, when you're doing these mundane things around the house, you're actually preparing it for the arrival of somebody. Yeah. Anything could happen. Who knows? Uh, like, like wonderful things could happen because you have a place where you can meet with someone. Yeah, it just really endows <laughs> it with new meaning. I think. Yeah, yeah. And 
I mean, and, and all that to say, it's not, this shouldn't be related to expense, you know? Yeah, yeah. This isn't about, you know, going out and connecting this with wealth. This is about making things and finding things. And if nature is one of those great ambassadors, then <laughs> that's a really easy to easy way to, to bring that into your home or to, to create that space. But listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And I really hope this has inspired you to think about your space. And we've got uh, spring coming up, so maybe this is a, a fresh start in thinking about how you can make your home a place that communicates belonging and love uh, to other people um, through what you make and what you decide to create, what, what you create and what you decide to showcase in your home. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah. Go ahead and um, feel free to give us a review on iTunes. I think after a certain point, we actually get these published, but I think the first few reviews are hidden until there are enough people talking about it that iTunes decides that we're cool enough to uh -huh, actually have ratings. Yes, it's, it's hidden until then. So um, thank you for those of you who have given us uh, some responses and uh, given a review. Um, yeah. And it is not in vain. It just will be published once they have enough of those. Um, yeah. To beef it up. <laughs> good, <laughs> so, yeah. good point. <laughs> good to know. But thanks for joining Neighbor Union, everyone. And we'll talk to you next time. All right. See you next time.